This is Alexander Freed, author of the Alphabet Squadron novels, and you are listening to the Living Force Podcast. Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. Be mindful of the Living Force, young Padawan. A Utini Podcast Network production. Episode 109, Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price Roundtable, Part 3. There's always a bigger fish. On this episode, there's a new Thrawn novel and Utini has the reviews. We are brave, your highness. Eric has a new lightsaber. And the Utini crew wraps up their discussion on the Star Wars novel Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price by Alexander Freed. Roger, roger. And now, here are your hosts... Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Henkel, and Boss Wes. <laughs> Jenkins. What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Living Fjord. I am one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me tonight are two of my very best buddies to talk about some Star Wars. First, we have Dr. Charles Henkel. What's up, dude? Oh, hey. Is it Monday already? Are we back? Are we live? Oh, yes, man. It's, I think so. I feel like it's like... I don't know, August already. It's been a long, long week, but it's good to be here. It is good to be here. It is it is best to be here when you're here, my friend, but it is betterer and bestester to be here when Wes Jenkins is around. What's up, dude? And possibly dumberer when I'm, That's when I'm right. around. <laughs> good to see everybody. I'm, this is round three of oh the gosh. round table. So yes. I mean, we're really, we're really chipping away at this book. I hope we get it done this time. <laughs> yeah, which is which is not a tradition that we're starting for all of them. We've now done two three parters, um, yeah. and I, I love these marathon sessions. I think we we here at UTD and the Living Force believe in you know giving the books their proper due. We don't want to do we don't want to skip anything. These authors put a lot of work in, but uh, I'm ready to talk about dumb stuff next week. But this week we're gonna have a good time. Charles, uh, you were looking over your prompts again. Today, and, and you said you're, you're feeling pretty good. You're feeling pretty hot about these questions. Yeah, I think we're going to have a good time. There's a lot of stuff. I was looking back at it, and I was like, I feel like we've talked about so much. We talked about all the characters ad nauseum at this point, but there was a lot of other stuff in this book that we didn't get around to yet, so I think it's going to be a, a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, we're excited to get there, but before we do, a couple quick things. First of all, we want to say a hearty congratulations uh, for everyone that is not watching live right now, it's Thrawn Week! What's up? Thrawn Ascendancy Greater Good is out tomorrow, technically as of recording. So if you're listening to this anytime but tonight, you have this, right? Why don't you get it? Uh, a couple quick things we did at Utini this week to celebrate. First of all, over on our YouTube channel, our boy Nathan put up a really helpful recap video of Thrawn Ascendancy Chaos Rising which is the first book in the trilogy, the pre the precursor to this book, which is very helpful because, uh, Charles West, do you remember everything that happened in Chaos Rising? You uh, know, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> which, is, which is crazy because we spent so much time talking about these books and I still need recaps. And that's why, before we even went live, I was saying, like, even if I wasn't a part of Utini, even if I just didn't want to support Nathan and the whole team, like I still needed this video. I still would have found this video before I read Greater Good. Yes. Yeah. This this video is is a much needed summary, a rehash, uh, because of the time since we finished Victory's Price, or I, since I finished Victory's Price, I haven't read anything. I need to 
I need to wind down. I need to mm-hmm. I need to have a little time to myself. And I should have been listening to the book because I have it on uh, I have it on audio books. Uh-huh. So I'd at least have it on the background here. Be like, oh yeah, I remember that Erolani. I remember that name. That's a name, right? Right. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's great. And like they're saying, even if you hate us, if you hate Utini and you hate Nathan, still watch the video because it's very useful. So yeah, we hope you enjoy <laughs> that. And of course, as with all book releases. Tomorrow on release day, our video review done by our very own Emma of the Cosmic Force will be releasing on the YouTube channel. And the written review, written by myself, uh, will be on the Utini website. So head over there, get our thoughts on greater good. Very excited for that. Uh, Another quick fun thing I wanted to share with y'all. I bought a lightsaber this week. Yeah! Yeah, you did. I I got the Revan Force Effects lightsaber. I was hanging out on Twitter and uh, our good buddy Veers Watch uh, tweeted out that it was on sale, and I was like, "You know what? I had a good work week, I guess." So I just—I know—I just wanted to share. I don't get to share with a lot of people things I get. And look at this what, thing. What's the heft on that thing? How much do you think that weighs? Oh, I don't know. Somewhere between two and eleven pounds. That- I'm bad with weight, <laughs> but like, it's, it's it's nice and solid. The the blade that it comes with changes colors from purple to red, which was freaking rad. Yeah. So how many sabers are in your collection now? This is oh, number man. what? This is number... Let's see, I got the two Ahsokas from Rebels, which is technically one set. Luke from Return of the Jedi, Temple Guard, Asajj, and now Revan. And then I did just order Mace Windu, because that's going out of stock at Galaxy's Edge. And which then, is um, wild. I, yeah. I, it, the fact that Mace is in my top ten lightsaber purchases is, is kind of ridiculous, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> and then there's one coming out on May the 4th. At Disney, that I'm probably gonna get. It is uh, it's a lot. But anyway, buy lightsabers, buy Star Wars merch. Not a plug. I just like it. <laughs> but what is a plug? I'm just gonna keep holding this. It makes me feel powerful. What is a plug is that this Sunday, May second, our show Bounty Hunt is returning. What used to be a Patreon only show is changing for the Bad Batch. This is our show where we recapped Mandalorian episodes, where we recapped Clone Wars episodes on our Patreon previously. But, for all shows going forward, we're switching formats. We are going to be doing a live show of Bounty Hunt where we recap the first Bad Batch episodes from Season 7 of Clone Wars. So, again, to get you ready for Bad Batch's premiere next week on May the 4th, this Sunday we'll do a live show. Uh, It should be all four of us Living Force hosts. We'll talk about the Bad Batch arc in Season 7, recap the characters, tell you everything you need to know for the premiere, and then going forward... Our hope is to, every weekend, do a live show where we recap those latest Disney Plus episodes. It'll be different times, you know, depending on our schedules. But, guys, how nuts is it that we're almost to Bad Batch time? Like, it's next I, week. Right. And I've only oh. seen that those four episodes of the Bad Batch one, 1.2 times, maybe, because I maybe saw a little bit more of another episode. Right. But, <laughs> but, yeah, I need to revisit those. I'm excited to, to watch those on Saturday. Yeah, in time for Sunday, yeah. I have homework. I'm Air just excited homework. to be getting back to some of our other, uh, quote unquote, smaller shows. The the right. ones that we started, I don't know that we're we're just pure fun for Patreon initially. Like, I obviously I'm we're all busy. Um, I haven't made a bounty hunt in a while. I feel like, and I haven't made a light speed skipping in a while. And I always have so much fun on those shows. So I'm stoked that we're now going to be doing these live, and I'm going to be there. It's going to be fun. 
Yeah, we're really excited. A lot of our lives got busy at the same time at the beginning of 2021, but we're excited going into the summer to make some extra content for y'all. We hope you enjoy. And if you are a podcast listener audio-wise, The Bounty Hunt Show will be put out in an audio format as well. We're figuring out all the specifics of that. Stay tuned. We keep you guys informed. We hope you enjoy our commentary going forward. Uh, a couple thank yous before we go forward. We have a new patron this week, Matthew Port. Welcome to the Patreon family. We hope you enjoy some of those fun shows we were talking about, including uh, the latest Star Wars archives that had their Jackson episode on Sunday, which is one of the most hilarious shows we've ever put out. We hope you <laughs> loved that. Uh, and then, of course, Cafe's Ghost Crew are continuing to be put out. Uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy it. And Matthew, thank you so much again. All the support of all our patrons really makes our lives kind of incredible. And those patrons, we can't wait to hang out with you on May the 4th. As a reminder, our Inquisitorious patrons, we will be hanging out with you May the 4th evening, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern. We're watching that hour and 10-minute Bad Batch premiere all together. Uh, Info will be going out through Discord, through email. Keep your eyes peeled. Uh, Timothy will be sending out all those details. Can't wait to hang out with y'all for that. And usually now we do our Patron of the Week segment. We don't have one this week, but we wanted to give a quick thank you and a shout-out to our very own Maggie, who wrote into Force Toast. uh, Again, a a show we love. We've had them on the show a couple times before. Go check them out immediately. But uh, she plugged us in our timeline over on the Force Toast show. Did you guys hear this? Yeah, I did. Um, I was was driving back from my parents' house, and I was uh, listening to Force Toast, and I was like, no way! I was like, I know who Maggie is, and then they they read Maggie's uh, uh, her uh, review about kind of about us a little bit, and then uh, the Force Toast girls kind of got in. Lauren started talking about uh, our our website and our book reviews and everything. It was really cool. It was almost like you're starstruck a little bit and hearing other people yeah. talk about you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I I'm such a big fan of Force Toast. You know, even if we didn't have this show, like. I listen to every episode that they drop since I found them. And it's it's nice to think that our audience overlaps with theirs a little bit. You know, maybe yeah. maybe we're half as fun as they are over there. But I, I'm happy to be in good company. No question. And thank you again to Alice and Laura for, for shouting us out there. And if you're not listening to Force Toast, fix that. You're listening to us. It's like two <laughs> clicks away. Go find them. Force Toast, Star Wars Happy Hour. Always love that show. Uh, We don't have a full Star Wars Weekly Roundup this week, but we do have one image we wanted to share with y'all because a pretty neat thing got announced this week. Uh, If y'all remember when Thrawn Ascendancy Chaos Rising came out, Out of Print Tees put out a special edition that was just like really smoldery, sexy young Thrawn and like a painting, and it was in a slipcover case, and it was gorgeous, and we we gave one away on the show, and they announced they're doing it again! There is another edition with an even sexier Thrawn. Wes, can we throw that up on the screen? Look at this boy. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Look at the medals. He's so important. Yeah, the the uh, the trinket medals that go across his neck. It's almost like a uh, it's it's almost like a charm bracelet that he has. Yeah. Just a man's a man's charm necklace. Is he a grand admiral? <laughs> Does he work at a TGI Fridays? We don't know. <laughs> Then I can't wait y'all, y'all get to the memories chapters of Greater Good where it talks about all his charm bracelets. But uh, that we wanted to shout that out real quick. Keep you all informed that that is going to be released this August. So we got a little bit of a wait. But I can almost guarantee that all of us on staff are going to try to pick up at least one copy because we loved giving away the first bit. We're probably going to do another giveaway of that. But if you don't want to bank on us getting it for you, 
Uh, keep an eye out on, honestly, the best place is probably the Delray Star Wars book Twitter. Uh, they keep everyone abreast of all that stuff. But check out Out of Print Tees. Look at that gorgeous new edition. Yeah. If you got the first one, you got to get the second one. Come on. It's it beautiful. sounds like it sounds like they're a big hit because they keep doing they keep doing it right. So this is like the yeah. third one that I've seen. Which we had. I need Light more, man. Yeah, yeah. Every book should have alternate versions that I can spend money on for the same text. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I ask you. Well, I mean, we've talked before about how cool some of the international covers are for books. Yeah, right? for like real? some yeah. of the like Brazilian covers are always fire for some right. reason, and yeah. and we were like, why can't we have something like that? And that's kind of what these are. Yeah, and I mean, we got people like Jared Mays in our chat, our buddy that gets all the variant covers of the Higher Public comics. So, why yep. not just do that for some of the books? So and and the socks, make and sure the they socks. Had the and socks. the socks. <laughs> More than yesterday, very comfy. I hope that we get more special editions. But even if we don't, you all head over to our new release calendar at utini.com because now it's time to pre-order the next bit. We got a two-month break between canon releases, which is which is wild. It is, it is a long spring we've had in a bit. It's okay. We can breathe. But on June 29th, we got two books coming your way. The High Republic, The Rising Storm by friend of the show, Kevin Scott. And The High Republic, Race to Crash Point Tower by future friend of the show, putting it out in the universe, Daniel Jose Older. Um, those are both coming out on the same day. Get those pre-orders in because, come on, it's High Republic. You love it. We love it. Cannot wait. And again, a massive thank you to Frank on our team for keeping that new releases page up to date. All right. At this point, we would do book reviews on a normal show, but this is our third roundtable episode, so we skipped them one final week. We're bringing those back next week. Make sure. Keep going to utini.com. Look up your books. Scroll down on their book profiles. Lead those star reviews so we can read them on the show. But that's next week. Uh, but we're here to finish off our talk about Alphabet Squadron, Victory's Price. Charles, you have led this ship the last two episodes bravely. Now bring us home, baby, with some overarching questions. Let's do it. All right, yeah, we have spent so much time on these characters already. It's time to move on to some some bigger questions, maybe some broader questions, some ones that are going to make you think really hard. But before we do that, I'm going to start with some easier ones. So, Ooh, thank you. Thank you. First, <laughs> overarching question, just to just to warm you up, just to get the juices what flowing. What happens when we die? Know? Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I would like y'all to rank the books in this trilogy from your Ooh. most favorite to least favorite. Obviously, Making something your least favorite doesn't mean you hate it, but I'm curious. We got Victory's Price, we got Shadowfall, and we got the original Alphabet Squadron. How would you rank them? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, I know. West, you got this? You know? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I will give uh, Shadowfall the number one spot. I liked the second book of the Alphabet Squadron, Alphabet Squadron trilogy, um, the very best because um, I don't know. I liked the uh, I liked the conflict that Erica Quell had with uh, with the ITO droid and with with Aiden, and then yeah. um, I also I also enjoyed uh, Will and um, Will and Nath Tencent kind of buddying up a little bit, but also kind of butting heads. And then you can you kind of see Will Lark uh, stepping out to be a leader. So um, I did like so I like that book the best. But I have a I don't know about the first and the third. It's kind of a toss up. I don't want to rank one of them third when I think that they're both equally as good. Um, 
You can tie. You can have it be a tie. That's okay. uh, Let's also assume there's like seven other books after them, so they're like third place out of ten in our head, just like yeah, for, yeah, the, yeah. for the sake of it. Yeah, so I'll give, I'll give a slight edge to the first book, and then very, very close this book here, uh, Victory's Price. Okay. Okay. Who I, I'm gonna rank. Alphabet Squadron proper first, I think. I think the first book, just I the character introductions I thought were so well done. I really loved the Devon reveal at the end. I thought that was really cool. Um, I like the fireside stories. So yeah, I think the first mm-hmm. one made it, it was my favorite. Um, ooh, and I love God. I love Shadowfall a lot, but this the the third act of Victory's Price is just immaculate star wars to me like from curson on like it is really really good stuff um oh but that shadowfall chapter i see what you mean wes it is it, it's tough to sparse these i think I, i'm i'm okay i'll go one two three actually one, not two, to three. and i really like three i think I, I mean i really like this trilogy as a whole but i think my gut says one two three okay all right, oh. Dude, I would that's actually, an easy question. This sucks. Yeah, I would rank things. <laughs> this was an easy one. I would rank things the same as Wes. I would say two, one, three. So Shadowfall is my favorite, then mm-hmm. Alphabet Squadron, and then Victory Surprise. But it is close. Um, and in you know, again, even thinking back to those first books, now they're all kind of colored by what we just learned, you know, in the third right. book. And so it's it's hard to kind of I don't know distinguish between them but i i tend to like the second act in things the most mm-hmm. I, I i like being hurt i like things to, to yeah. get yeah. dark empire like I, i've been wearing yeah. my uh my last jedi shirt tonight like yeah absolutely yeah well so while we're ranking things let's let's go back to the characters for one minute because i want to know of all the members of alphabet squadron now that we've gotten the full story who was your favorite who was your least favorite and who do you think was the most indispensable to the squadron? Ooh, ooh. wow, that's good. Well, Will Lark's my favorite. I'll still let the easy okay. one go. Like, yeah, I, I was love curious. I love Will. Um, I, I, I like to. I mean, he started out with such a lead in the first book, and I think the lead got shorter in the other two. But I, I still just love the guy so much. Yeah. So yeah, I'll say Will's my favorite. Uh. Wes, Charles, what do you guys... We'll do, let's do them like one at a time. This will be fun. What are okay. you guys' favorites? And then we'll go to least. My favorite was... I liked Erica Quell the most. Um, mostly Love because she, she was on one side of the fight, and now she's on the other side of the fight. And then she's on one side of the fight, but maybe not really on that side of the fight, kind of helping the other side of the fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she's, I liked, my I liked, she's my second. She's my second. I liked her like flip-flop. Well. I liked her flip-flop and how she struggled with whether um, whether those uh, whether being at Cerberon, whether being at um, uh, Traitor's Remorse, all these things were were right for her, and whether um, the the path of being in the Empire itself when she first joined was the right path, and why she didn't get out to begin with, um, and then ultimately helping the uh, the New Republic at the very end It's just it's very complicated, but I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny you said flip flops. Reminds me of the social network scene, and I just want to see Eric Quill being like, "I'm sorry, my flight suits at the cleaners." 
What about my Prada? You flip flops. Anyway, one of the best scenes of all time. (laughs) Well, I think that actually my favorite character uh, changed after Victory's Price. Like this character was it was not my favorite until I closed this third part of the trilogy, and uh, it's not Tenzin. I, I actually, kidding. I wasn't even sure that I liked him after the first book. I liked him a lot more after the second one, and then by the end of the third, I mean, I was just, uh, I, I really felt like he. Well, we'll get around to this, but I think he was probably one of the most important members of the squadron. Um, Kairos is, is still a close second. Y'all remember, I loved Kairos. You are a Kairos uh, stan. It's true. I am, but but Nath won me over. Um. All right. Well, I'm gonna. I'll take that and say my uh, again least favorite is harsh because they're all great characters, but we, yeah. we got to play yeah. by Charles's rules, y'all. It's not us. Um. Uh. Oh, actually, before we do though, we just got a really nice comment in the chat that we use as a little breaker. Uh, Billy Hennessy just wrote up quickly stopping by to say that everyone at Utini is doing amazing work with the channel. I also found the website and it's been super helpful with helping me find which books to read. Thank you. Thank That's, you, Brian. Billy. What? Billy. Why we do it? <laughs> cool. All right. Yeah, I just saw that. That's lovely. That's nice. Um, all right. Now, now back to the emotional toil. Um, my honestly, my least favorite character, least favorite of the squad, is probably Kairos. Weirdly, uh-huh. um, I love. I she goes through really great growth. I think it has really interesting story points, but for some reason, it never quite hit me as hard as the others. So probably controversial, but I'm gonna say Kairos. Okay. So it has to be part of the Alphabet Squadron. Well, you character. can do whatever you want, Wes. <laughs> whoa, 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 Charles, you set rules. This is what is this, chaos? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, so I I kind of agree with you, Eric. Um Kairos was very interesting to me through book one and two. I'm like, how did this how did she come about? Um, what are these metal plates she has bound to her body? What what is her species? But I didn't get the reveal that I was looking for. I got a new species. I thought it was something that I had known for. I, I guess I set up my expectations a little too yeah. high. Didn't manage yeah. those expectations, yeah. not baby. At all. <laughs> but ultimately, well, the person that I did not like the most was the messenger. I did not like oh, the messenger. Okay. <laughs> the first messenger. All right, great. Yeah. Well, he got literally messenger. shredded to bits, so that was probably somewhat therapeutic for you. I was waiting for you to just like randomly crap on Mon Mothma for like, for, like no reason. <laughs> we get it. You're the chancellor. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm going to say my least favorite um was actually still Erica Quell. Um I liked her a lot more at the end of things, but I think um I never fully recovered from from how I felt about her after books 1 and 2. Um but the whole that's what's really interesting about this. Uh none of us well, besides y'all both picking Kairos, none of us really had exactly the same answers there, which no. is cool. I mean, that's what's so nice about having such a diverse group of characters all thrown together for these stories. I bet every single one out there uh, or every single one of our listeners has a you know a different order of how they felt about these characters, who their favorite is, who their least favorite was. That's cool because we, we identify with different characters depending on who we are, and that's that's how we're growing the Star Wars universe overall. And, and with all these stories, we're getting a lot more characters that we might latch on to. So that's fun. Yeah. And uh, so now your third one was who is, who is most indispensable to the squadron? Yes. Is that it? Who, who is the heart of Alphabet Squadron? If, if you took this one character out 
everything would have gone sideways. Oh, um, weirdly, I'm going to say Erica, which is because she does leave. Like, you know, so this happens, and I think we see the evidence of it, that when she is pulled out, the squadron does kind of fall apart a bit. It does kind of splinter, because I think that when she's around, especially in the first book, the squadron really finds out who they are, and like... She does things that really make some of them angry and that they don't agree with. And they have to figure out how do you deal with adverse leadership and how do you deal with forgiveness? I mean, Chas and her story from beginning to end, I love it. And shout out to our girl Chas, who we haven't mentioned because she's kind of like second in a, in a lot of these for me. Second or third. I love her. And the way that she reacts to Quell's actions and journeys throughout all three books really defines the rest of her life, as we find out in the epilogue. Um, same with Nath. Nath has to wonder, like, what does loyalty mean to him when Quell's going all over the place? Will is, like, very personally affected by Quell's leadership and dedication and also abandonment. Like, she does so much. And then, obviously, Kairos is... She's the only person Kairos speaks to in the first book. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say Erica is, is the linchpin. I, I agree with you. I agree with you on that. Um... I think the the story may have been a little different if we didn't have Nath Tenzent mm-hmm. uh, in, in throughout the story. Um, one in the in an instance in in the third book in Victory's Price where he goes through an airlock and fixes something and yeah! has Will stay behind <laughs> and Will just thinks he's dead and then he comes back uh, with his eyes not blown out apparently from the vacuum um, and then. In the first book, he kills uh, he kills grandmother. I mean, there could have the, the story could have gone a complete different way if grandmother mm-hmm. was still left alive. Um, God, so grandmother of, and Soren keys together <laughs> taking on that's seriously. not a great day for them. <laughs> if they got to take on both of those, my gosh. Yeah, so I mean, it could have been the story could have been completely different um, if Nath Tinsley because he had a lot of key moments that helped sway the battle in in uh, New Republic's favor. Yeah, the way the way he spun his ship and like deflected the. The missile yeah. in Shadowfall. Yeah, right. Um, and I and I agree with you. Uh, I I think it's Nath as well. But I was coming at it from a different angle. I really like how you looked at it, Eric. And I agree with you from that standpoint. It that you could definitely answer that it was Quell. The way I was thinking about it was, I feel like Nath literally saved the lives of others. You know, multiple times. Like the squadron wouldn't have existed. I feel like without him because yeah, they quite been literally, like, true, slowly true. picked off. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that was kind of my thought on that, but we don't want to spend too much time going back and talking about the characters. Now that some of those easy ranking style questions are out of the way, I want to talk about a really big moment, uh, a really big scene that shocked me that it was in this book to begin with. I've been dying to talk about this. It was on page 124 and it's when we learn that Will actually stumbled upon Luke at Vader's funeral pyre. Oh, yeah! yeah. Y'all remember this? Oh, my God, yes! It was just so casually slipped in there. (laughs) Yeah, and and I was was really blown away by this. So I want to read something that Will said about his experience finding Luke at Vader's funeral pyre. And he says, he says this, it was that look that he had, like he was remembering Vader's life. Like he felt grief. I don't doubt the Skywalker did all the good they say, but it felt wrong to have Vader there when we just lost so many people fighting everything Vader represented. I don't know what Vader meant to him. 
I believe in grace and compassion and that no one deserves to die in war. Even so, I watch Skywalker and Vader, and I can't shake the thought that maybe there are some crimes that shouldn't be forgiven, that there must be some line we shouldn't cross. Freed's oh. so good. Yeah. Like, yeah. some of these lines, man, I... I love yeah. how that was added in there. Yeah. Like, I remember it, there was something with Will that they were all, everybody was poking Will about, like, hey, tell us about what, what you knew about what happened right after uh, Return of the Jedi, or, you know... The, <laughs> They didn't say they were great. What happened yeah. after Return of the Jedi, Will? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Battle of Endor, I mean. <laughs> you know, the movie you're in. <laughs> so they finally got that reveal, and I was yeah. driving into work, and I, it was like it was almost, it was like 7.15 a.m., and I was right going right underneath the bridge, and I was like, oh, my God, what, God, what am I listening to right now? I remember that. Very, God, very good it. part. And I love that, too, because I feel like anytime we hear about something a reference to the original trilogy in canon, right? It reminds me that we know everything about Vader and stuff as fans. The people in universe definitely do not. Right. The, the only people yeah. that know Vader were redeemed are us that watch the movie and like four people, you know, like yeah. <laughs> for everyone else, he's still the face of murderous tyranny for decades. So, Will's reaction here made total sense. I'm like, oh, right. You saw the hero of the rebellion, the hero of, of the New Republic, standing over, like, the most evil, murderous bastard in history, being like, oh, bummer. Like, that had to be a rough, weird thing to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because it's almost like Will was holding it against Luke a little bit because he didn't understand that that relationship between them. So, like, what made Luke a Jedi, you know, and, and what really is the end of his journey is that forgiveness and tossing his saber away. Like that, that's, you know, Will, if he was, if he was, uh, there in the emperor's throne room, he would have been like, no, 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 kill him, kill him. Like, this is <laughs> Darth Vader. Like, come on. Like he must've thought that, that Luke was like, just being a savage, like just lighting Vader's body on fire. Like this guy's not coming back. Like I've watched Halloween too many times. Michael Myers always gets back up. Um, this is zombies, man. Like, hey, yeah. somehow Palpatine returned. Do we light his body on fire? Maybe we should have. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe we should have. Oh, well, but I'm hopefully curious, Hopefully not trying too. to get into your Easter eggs, but it, is this the first time we've heard of Vader's funeral pyre? Um, like in, in, I mean, in universe or in canon or in, in Legends? Maybe in Legends. I think maybe. Forgive I mean, my maybe, ignorance. Maybe outside oh. of... Actually, yeah, within like Return of the Jedi. I mean, there's there are stories like, uh, what is it like the glove of Darth Vader and stuff like that that kind of I guess came out of his funeral pyre. And I guess mm. the the melted helmet in like the sequel right, trilogy yeah, is like it. sort of a reference to that. But yeah, I don't know that we've ever. It's always been that private, intimate moment, like just with Luke and Vader. So it's it's almost weird now. It's gonna be weird going back and watching Return of the Jedi and, and thinking Will's somewhere creeping in the background, <laughs> yeah. like. In- oh my god! I can't wait for this special, special, special edition <laughs> to CGI a Will Lark in the back being like, "What's going? Oh my god! Shut up! Oh, shit, yeah. shit, shit. I'm not. I'm not here. I'm not here. Don't look at me." Well, I'm curious what y'all think about. Not just that scene, but I, I want to know what you think about what Will had to say. That there are some crimes that shouldn't be forgiven. And, you know, I, I'm curious. Do you think there's anyone, Vader included, who is beyond redemption? Because that's, that's kind of what Will was was saying. Like, 
Uh, okay, how do we navigate this one? Not to get, like, too in the weeds about, like, crossing Star Wars in the real world, but, like, the the last few years of life have taught me that maybe some people truly aren't. And I think that redemption, at least in Star Wars and in a lot of fictional places, is built on intentionality of um, repentance, right? Like, Vader at the end, in Luke's eyes... Destroyed the Emperor, came back to the light side, and then, you know, was was redeemed, was given this honor in the end of the movie, at least. Now, if Vader had survived and stood trial, does anyone other than Luke say, yeah, no, he's good. Great. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, he did kill millions of people, yeah. but he was nice to his son at the end, so I guess we give him a pass. Like, it's tough. I don't know. That's a tough decision, yeah. and who gets to make that decision? Does the... Does the hefty act of throwing Emperor Palpatine down the shaft um, make up for blowing up Alderaan? Right. Like, and, you know, I mean, if, yeah. no. Wiping out the Jedi Answer Order. For it, like, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, hey, Jose makes a great point. Vader failed because also the Emperor survived. So, well, it's a that, nice little show. but <laughs> Yes. Womp womp. <laughs> it's also interesting hearing Will talk about that, though, because Will is such the seemingly the moral backbone of a lot of stuff like we talked last episode about will not wanting to fight and thinking you know the war has to stop violence has to stop and that's honorable to an extent but with this kind of thing to have even will be like no vader was bad and how could luke ever forgive him even with context i think it would have been tough yeah yeah but most people know vader as the vader from the hallway scene at the end of rogue one you know yeah yeah Horror movie guy. Murderer. But, you know, redemption is one of the major themes in Star Wars since the very beginning, obviously. Um, And, you know, I I kind of do take it from the original trilogy, kind of the story of Anakin, if you will, that no one's truly beyond redemption. Like, that's kind of the the, one of the ideas I think it at least puts forth, whether you accept that or not. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that said, I think this novel does raise an important question and our chat absolutely lit up about this in part one of this roundtable. But what really is redemption? I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. And, and how does one become redeemed? Is it something that you do through your own actions? Like, did Vader redeem himself by throwing the Emperor down the shaft? Or is it something that's gifted to you by others through their forgiveness of your actions? Ooh. So, so think about it this way. Was Vader redeemed by throwing... Uh, Palpatine down the shaft, or was he redeemed because Luke forgave him? I don't think a person can be, like, binarily redeemed or not redeemed. Like, I I don't think you can, like, I've done enough and now officially I am redeemed because I think it's an Mm -hmm. individual decision for every person about every other person. Because in Luke's eyes, Vader was redeemed, and because Luke is the protagonist of the saga, we as audience see vader as redeemed right Mm -hmm. because that's our lens (coughs) excuse me whereas i think with other people everyone that you know wrongs someone that victim or that person gets to decide whether they just they feel that person is redeemed in their eyes and okay they can go on with that but if you're a person that needs redemption in your eyes i don't think you get to decide whether you are or not i think you just kind of go through your life and if someone decides you are to them great but someone else might not at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's everybody has different experiences, so everybody's different. So you might 
just like you said, Eric, feel differently about one aspect of somebody doing something wrong to you or doing something good to you even. Um, yeah. They may feel some, feel completely different than another person. So it's just based on past experiences, how you're brought up, um, your mindset at the time, maybe. Um, so mm-hmm. that is a complicated yeah. question, Charles. That's I know. one yes. of the easy I ones. Know. But, it do, but it does sound like y'all are saying, I mean, it's it's comes from others more so than it comes from yourself. Mm. I mean, I think that is kind of what you're both saying. Whether everyone is in agreement or not, it's something that has to come from other people. And I, I find it really interesting, Eric, that you raised the question of, well, what if Vader stood trial? Like, what, what, what would that look like? And yeah. Quell kind of has to do that a little bit in this right. book. And I feel like mm-hmm. in this book, she's the one that we could ask the question about, like, was Quell redeemed? And so I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that when we do see her kind of go through that process and struggle with forgiving herself and hoping to have the forgiveness of others? Uh, well, what do you think? We, we started the last one. What do you think? We'll, we'll hit, the, hit you with the Uno reverse. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I think it's tough, but I personally, I would say that she was redeemed. And that's coming from someone who still didn't really like the character at the end. But I feel that way mostly, I think, because of the fact that she to me, seemed to have a very good understanding of just how horrible the things were that she did. And she she seemed to really carry a grief with her um, and a, a regret with her that felt very honest to me and very true. Yeah. You know, there's a conversation we'll get to a little bit later where, you know, Hera even tells her that she's going to get a medal for everything that she did. And she just is like, she realizes the absurdity of it. She's like, I killed entire worlds and, and you're trying to give me a medal. Like, that's not yeah. why I'm here, you know? So I, I would say that she was redeemed in my eyes, but I also know there are a lot of people, including maybe that survivor from uh, whatever world it was that she killed, I can't recall, who she's supposed to go meet at the end. There are going to be people like that who may not forgive her, and I totally get that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, for me, likewise, I think she was redeemed i think she did the best she could with the circumstances she was given throughout most of the trilogy i think that she had to deal with incredibly complex questions and ideas and tactics and strategies like of all different sides i think she took in all the info she could and then just made decisions and tried Mm -hmm. to save people that she could tried to do what was right and in my eyes i think that's that's what all you can do and i think especially how she ended living her life the way she did, I, I have no qualms accepting her redemption personally. No qualms? Yeah. I, I have no qualms. No Erica qualms. I agree. Yeah, um, yeah, I think she was redeemed as well. I think, yes, she did horrible, unjust things, killing people, um, but ultimately she came, she came to the New Republic side and with her knowledge of the Empire and how they work and how Shadowing works, I don't think they could have got as far as they did with with bringing down Shadowing, with with um, putting together a task force to... Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, Hera and the other generals were, were a big part of that, but she had she, she had some knowledge that um, was key to, to winning that battle and winning that war. So yeah. Her, yeah. I mean... She was redeemed in a way, in in a sense that she used her her knowledge of the empire for good. Ultimately, at the end, 
Yeah. Well, let's go back to a quote from Keyes on page 29, and he says, I don't doubt that there are imperial soldiers who have done appalling things, but what are the odds that the rebels can judge the fates of their enemies fairly? And so, you know, we're sitting here talking about whether or not we think Quell is redeemed. Well, you know, the New Republic had to make that decision too, or at least their leadership did. And I'm curious what y'all think. Can the New Republic judge the ex-imperials fairly, or, or can any government for that matter? And I want to know, if you were in Mon Mothma's position, how would you handle not just Quell, but Imperials after the war? Uh, some can. That's why I cop out. Some can judge them fairly, I think, you know? It's uh, it's tough because it is a balance of, you know, an all or nothing of the Nuremberg trials, right? Yeah. Of, like, sweeping the all, did this, all were complicit in all of this, which is also right, I think, to an extent. With, there's got to be a, a capacity for compassion and repentance and also people to start over out of a fascist state or else we'll always be at war which i think is also valid so yeah it's tough i think for me if it was if i was in this position right if i was on jury duty for the new Repu- new republic i got my <laughs> summons i went to shangela and i was like all right gotta waste it wednesday or whatever um <laughs> i think i think a lot of it would be in the 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 testimony of the individual person like what did they do were they forced into it like as an oppressor can make someone do something they don't want to in a fascist state you know do they now pledge to try to right their wrongs like Erica try to help people out or did they just lose a war and they happen to pick the wrong side and they believed in what they're doing and are not trying to save their own skin Lose yeah, the think, war. Sorry. That yeah. just... <laughs> That's it, man. So, yeah, I think it would just take a long, long, long time. But in galaxy-wide, though, mm. I think uh, I think you got to do arm uh, like a uh, what is it? A general pardon over a general execution. Because I I mm. also do believe this is getting more into my own leanings, like. Avoiding the death of one innocent person is more important than killing a hundred guilty people. Mm. You know? So I think even if some bad ones get away with it, I think it's worth it if some innocent ones don't get unjustly punished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's almost... Um, can these ex-Imperials be rehabilitated? Right? right. Can they be... Condi- not conditioned, but can they show remorse and be genuine about it? Um, whether they're lying or not when they say yes or no because they're trying to escape punishment or death or something along those lines. I think, I think yes, the New Republic can judge them fairly, more so, more so than the Empire, mainly because I don't think they'd use torture droids, um, but I'm not certain. <laughs> I mean, right. I'm not, there, there are some, I'm pretty sure there are new Republic agents that have some bad feelings um, from past wars. And I mean, who wouldn't, uh, right, but yeah. it is rehabilitation in that ex Imperials future. Can it be done? That's that kind of the question that I would go so, through in, in a court of law. It sounds like you, Wes, you want to reopen traders remorse. 
<laughs> right next to you Trader know, I mean, Joe's. With, you know, with, a, with a nice beachfront, people are free to walk where they'd like to go. Um, just fenced in, you know, with yeah. attack yeah. dogs. It's a prison. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, no, you want like the, 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 the white-collar rich prison. Where it's yeah. like minimum they get TVs. And they yeah. get to walk wherever they want. I've seen Oz. I see how this works. <laughs> <laughs> well, at one point in this novel, Quell thinks that either no one in this war, Republic or Imperial, is a monster, or they all are. And I really liked that quote, and I'm curious, is it as simple as good and evil here? I mean, is it really as simple as she lays it out there? Are there, are, are there just all bad or all good or are there some good people on the imperial side are there some bad people on the new republic side well if you go into um a eugenie official book recommendation uh beth revis's rebel rising uh i think gives a very great example of some bad people on the good side when you get into saw guerrero's partisans um and they 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 hint at it in rogue one but they go into some detail of some kind of brutal tactics that these rebel fighters go through um, that are that are murderous and malicious. So I think to answer that, absolutely true. To answer the question of can there be good people on the side of tyranny and genocide, that's tougher. Because can you argue that Anyone, especially 30 years in, really didn't know what the Empire was doing. You know, like, especially at the higher level. Like, if you were conscripted off your planet and drafted in and, you know, you go to the Imperial Academy or your family dies, like, that happened a ton in stories that we've read. And I think, absolutely. Like, uh, we, we keep bringing up Lost Stars. Like, um, oh, what's her name? The, the roommate of Sienna. Uh, it was Ke- Jude, Kendi and Jude. Yeah, yeah, like have really good hearts, and you know, there's room for that, sure. But I think there is a point where you, if you zoom out, and you can't recognize what you're doing is evil. I don't know. I don't know how far that redemption can go here. Um, but Jose makes a good point in the chat real quick before we go deeper on. He says. Isn't the point that they make in the book that all Imperials have something bad? Like, maybe they can be good people, but in the eyes of the law, they are all complicit. Which is why Keyes wants to wipe their records. But also, like he says, even if they know what the Empire is doing, sometimes they have no options. So, yeah, well, all or nothing is hard. And there's a great quote that kind of speaks directly to what Jose brings up is on page 308. And it's when... um, Quell reveals that she found the messenger and that the emperor's you know, data bank with all the information with the Imperials is located under the Imperial Palace on Coruscant. She says, most of you never worked for the Empire, but you couldn't work as a damn file clerk without being complicit in something. That's how the Empire worked, how it was meant to work. You, ser- you serve, and sooner or later, everyone does something to stay in their conscience. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> wow. It is... It's tough. Like, d- did you it's also like not not to get too deep into this particular topic because i know it's still very prevalent in our lives but it's it's the argument with a lot of police right now in our country like is the person that you know derek chauvin got recently convicted of killing george floyd he got convicted was guilty great huge step forward as far as that going but all the other police that 
stood around and watched this man kill someone and didn't do anything, are they also as guilty of not stopping it? And I think we can take that real-life example and also attribute it to the Empire. Like, the person that was filing that saw that this report killed so many innocents that they said, hey, just, just throw that to the side. Is that file clerk that covered up these horrific incidents just as bad in the eyes of the New Republic as the person that carried out the order because they ensured that it could continue? Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that's where the conversation gets harder. And, yeah, it's just hard. Yeah, um, I could put it to you in a uh, kind of like a real world scenario here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a we have a big problem with um, with pollution, um, especially like plastic waste that's going around the earth right now. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of stuff gets washed off into rivers, especially overseas. Uh, people just throw their trash into the into rivers and they bellow out into uh, into the ocean uh, eventually. Well. I'm a big proponent of recycling. I recycle pretty much almost everything I can, um, but I do as as much as I can to help um, to help the earth and help recycle and help uh, with the with the, the greener tomorrow. I guess you could say. But my major source of income comes. I work for a plastic producer, so like there's mm-hmm. my my conflict. Um, so my conflict is: with, Do I leave my position at um this major plastic company that i work for just because of my beliefs or um do i stay where i'm at just because um the pay is okay or um so my main motivation now is to be on the forefront of helping my company become more sustainable with uh, recycled plastics Mm -hmm. so that's kind of where my next move is with my company is to help with um with recycled material that we'll put back into the, into like into food packaging, into, into all kinds of things. And um, so that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of a dichotomy, I guess you could say, because I have a, I have a strong belief of having a greener earth, but I also work for a a plastic company that, you know, is not solely, but it's probably part of the problem. It's part of the problem. Yeah, so here we'll we'll put up a Twitter poll, guys. Should Wes quit his job? Um, we'll read next week we'll on Twitter. Uh, tell us if Wes is being morally reprehensible or if he's in the clear. Uh, we look we forward will, to the results. On we will and call we'll his boss poll. live. <laughs> the follow up poll: Do you mind having a roommate? <laughs> that's it. No, really. Thanks for sharing, Wes. Because that's yeah, man. I mean, you're you're living out some of these questions. I think that's really actually pretty interesting so i think this is the interesting thing about this trilogy is that i don't think there's any star wars content that makes me think more about the actual world in which we live than this alpha squadron trilogy it wasn't that much escapism it really was no i didn't escape (laughs) Corey said that and i mean Corey, who again is abandoning us for two weeks in a row because he and i quote hates all of you go die very harsh um I mean, he said that's why he didn't like this book as much on initial rating because he's like, this was so hard to get through. I didn't escape. I was sad. Like, it, it really just assaults you <laughs> with yeah. the questions. Yeah, it's true. Well, it's real good. Let's, let's talk about something <laughs> I like- that I also really didn't expect in this novel. And that was 
how much information we got about Operation Cinder and the Emperor's Messenger, Wes's favorite character. <laughs> uh, and on page 196, we get this quote. Um, the surgeon had promised her answers. The processes, the algorithms, the databases that the Emperor's Messenger had used to find monsters who'd kill whole planets for a dead man's spite. Everything the Messenger had required to select Operation Cinder's executioners. She shuddered as she read formulas to assess an individual's loyalty, resourcefulness, conscience, recognized variables accounting for family trauma, education, genetic predispositions, species predispositions, personal associations, history of obedience to unlawful commands, involvement in physical interrogation. Line by line, she studied the code for how to identify not an unflaggingly loyal person, but a corrupt and broken one. So... This is also, fun fact, how Corey and I decide on the host for the Utini live shows. <laughs> it's the exact same criteria. <laughs> oh, man. Check out the Cosmic uh, Force on Wednesdays. Let's look back on Thursdays. In all seriousness, what did you all make of this? I mean, the Emperor had literally distilled evil down to a science. Like, there is a mathematical equation for being an a-hole. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of this? Dude, it reminded me of those the 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 cards back in the nineties. Like remember the power Star Wars power cards? Like where they'd say like strength and intelligence and charisma. Like, oh yeah. Like it's just stats and also made a lot of sense the way Freed described it though. Like knowing how maniacal and how much planning Palpatine did for everything in his entire life. This was like I feel like the day that Freed figured out this was gonna be the climax of his book, he was like, Oh, yeah. Wait, has no one ever done this before? This is so obvious. <laughs> How many of the Emperor's messengers were there? Didn't they say that there were multiple that went from, you know, mm-hmm. from system to system and to seek bunch. out? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, how many have we seen, I guess? Not too many, but we saw one yeah. in, in Inferno Squad. Yep. Aftermath, yeah. had, Aftermath had one, didn't it? I want to that say sounds right. Yeah, Alpha Squadron has had a couple. One, one now, oh, so. so there were messengers outside of this trilogy. There yeah. have been. I haven't yeah. seen Aftermath or um, Inferno Squad. Squad. Yeah, there's a couple. There's probably like something like twelve because that's how many people were on the council. Like, there's probably yeah. some representative yeah. number. Of course, it's all it's all <laughs> the old uh, kings of the men's kingdom. You know that have become ring wraiths or whatever. It's, oh it's my that gosh! All yes, over messengers here. of the ring wraiths of Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, absolutely wild. Did y'all think that we would get this kind of information about Operation Cinder, about the messengers? Like, did you ever think we would go there in this trilogy? Uh, I mean, that's incredibly detailed of Palpatine to do this. I would love a backstory on it, maybe in like uh, Star Wars Insider or something. That'd be great to read. Like him with a oh. chalkboard in his <laughs> yeah. in his room, like writing the equations for this. Like, let's see, he's evil just, squared like... equals <laughs> <laughs> a parking ticket is worth four <laughs> evil points. But that's that's nuts, right? Like he was yeah. like, I'm. I know that I'm eventually going to die. I'm gonna succumb to my, I don't know, to my demise. And then I need to have this evilness live on. How do I find? scum within the universe that yeah. will carry this out and i mean that's that's so far thinking ahead i haven't thought what i was going to eat tonight for dinner 
I mean, that's right. ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's like he's like that guy that screenshots every text message he's ever received and uploads it to the cloud just in case. <laughs> like, this is 100% what he did. And, it, and again, it, it totally tracks with his personality, right? His obsession, his, his contingencies, his, want, his need for vengeance. But I, I will say, Charles, I was surprised that we went back to this. I didn't expect us to go for, for Cinder to factor in at all. Yeah. Going forward, because so that it was done, mm. we had gone over it, and then the horror that I felt was, I think, similar to Quell's when I realized, oh, oh my God, they're gonna burn planets again, like that. That hit me in a weirdly visceral manner when that started happening, because like Freed has done a really excellent job laying out how horrific Cinder is, mm-hmm. and then to have that happen again was just. I think it's it's the emotional impact that I think Lucas wanted the second Death Star to have. And I love the second Death Star. Don't get me wrong. Return of the Jedi is amazing. But it's not like I'm not afraid of it. It was bigger. Yeah, it was bigger. (laughs) This one is like it's bigger and also people will burn. Yeah. (laughs) I was surprised. Yeah. Well, let's move from talking about the Empire to talking a little bit more about the New Republic. Because on page three of this book... We got an incredible quote from Hera where she says, only rebellions are built on hope. Republics need sturdier foundations. God, see- I, I want that shirt. I want that yeah. on a shirt. Yeah. That's good, right? Um, oh, God. I'm but we see Hera and Mon Mothma discuss the future of the New Republic pretty extensively at the end of this novel. And I'm curious, what do you think the foundation is that Hera is referring to? What does the New Republic need that the rebellion would never have stability Mm. you know i think it's kind of like dating versus being in a relationship oh do tell like yeah (laughs) lesson up kids because like you know when you start dating someone there's hope of like we're gonna become this great team we're gonna have all these adventures or like they're gonna do this and i'll be like this like it's it's a lot of hypotheticals because you don't know yet so the future can be anything you want Mm-hmm. And the rebellion was built on not being the empire. That was like the main driving force. But now you're in it. You signed a lease. Like this is it now. You can't just like you're Y'all gonna got see a the dog. day. Yeah, you got a dog. You're gonna see the, the, the day in and day out of everything that's happening. So you need to actually build routines. You need to build communication relays, if you will. Um, yeah. Like. You know, the it's not a rebellion anymore. It is a republic. Like, you need to build a government. You need to know that you're not going to be fighting. So I think yeah. that republics and governments are built on stability and are built on, like, things that can be repeated for eternity, essentially, you know? Because you got to build it to last, not just to win. Mm-hmm. John Dutch Vander makes a great point. Is Freed going to have every Utini nomination for best quote? Maybe. So, so far, yes. Probably. So yes. far, yes. Oh, yeah. Charles, <laughs> did you put those in last week? We told us to remind you. Um, yeah, Charles, did you, uh, did you, did you do that? that? I'll, I'll do that later on. T- what? Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, Nicole's calling me from the other room. I'll be right back. Uh, I will. I will, Andrew. I swear. Um, no, but I, I love what you're saying because in my mind, the rebellion is, is held together by a vague idea of a better life. But they aren't forced yeah. to come up with the specific solutions or the specific answers on how they're going to actually accomplish it. Right? It's all about tearing down the current establishment rather than 
building yeah. a new one. But once they're mm-hmm. there and the dust settles and they're they're on top of the dog pile, they've got to come up with these concrete solutions. Yeah, like oh my god, we're gonna we're gonna get together and she won't be like my ex, you know, like because we'll just we'll just have all this great time. I'm like, great. Is their credit good enough that you can get a less than three percent mortgage rate? Like, let's <laughs> you got to break it down. Oh, Eric, it's just bleeding into your life, man. <laughs> <laughs> we're learning way too much about all of us today. If your mortgage is over three percent nowadays in 2021, get a refinance. You can get two seven five. Anyway, well, this is this is probably a, a good part to like. If you could rehabilitate some of those ex-imperials, they will help you build this government. I'm sure there was government right. officials within the empire that know the ins and outs of how to how to stabilize a government, right? So you yeah. need to use their expertise in some way. Yeah, you just shun them and familiar. not use it. That sounds that's in a Star Wars book somewhere. I don't remember where, but that's ringing a bell of someone being like bringing the imperials in to help build a new republic. I forgot what it in was. The, but... That's in the Rogue Squadron series. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. They bring in like a very uh, one of the specifically. I, I can't remember if he was one of the warlords or what it was, but yeah, they brought him in to help them out. And well, we'll sure see he, if Jared's still watching live at this yeah. chat. Catches up. I'm sure he'll know. Yeah, maybe it's there like was the next betrayal. step. Probably. Yeah. It's like the next step of uh, of, of reprogramming a, an imperial droid. Now you're just reprogramming a human being, a human. Yeah, or right. or alien, or you know, whatever it may be, whatever they are. Well. <laughs> Let's look beyond what sets the New Republic apart from the Rebellion and instead look at what sets the New Republic apart from the Empire. Because on page 437, Mon Mothma is talking with Hera about the fate of Erika Quell. And she says, It would be easier if we weren't setting precedent, if the decision could be sealed, like it would be in the Empire, never subjected to public view, with no consequences, no one to answer to but our own peculiar consciences. Maybe if fewer people knew, but no. Justice works best in daylight. What do you think about Ooh. that? Yeah, it's not a dictatorship. They're not trying yeah. to be they're not trying to be a tyrant or uh rule in under a dictatorship. So Yeah, um, I mean what is it? Is it the Washington Post or New York Times that has democ- democracy dies in the dark? Is their tagline? Mm-hmm. Like it you gotta do everything above board. Yeah. Like that's the yeah. thing. Like, you know, the empire was yeah, the empire was built on secrets and you know, tricking people into certain ways. And the idea of the new republic, I think, is being open about what you're doing. No more, not as many shady deals. Like, not no shady deals. Let's let's be realistic, shall we? But yeah. like, not as many shady deals. Not as many like dark alliances. Not having a freaking Sith Lord run it for thirty years. Like, you know. <laughs> Even if even just that's the base, you know, I think you're doing pretty well. So I think it's it's allowing the people that you're ruling access to what you're doing and to hear what decisions are being made for them, as opposed to just like saying shut up and fall in line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Mon Mothma goes on to say on page four thirty nine. Um, about the rebellion, she says, we were a storm, shifting and chaotic, battering the walls of a fortress of evil. Now we're rebuilding where that fortress stood, and we, I, have to consider whether each stone in our foundation can carry the weight of the future. There's another nomination God! for the quote mean, of the year. I mean, it's uh, just ridiculous. Down. <laughs> but when she said fortress God. of evil, I, I did have like a flashback to like SpongeBob and like, Mermaid E-man? Man and Barnacle Boy screaming <laughs> evil or whatever and running around. Evil! 
Oh my um, god. But God no, but, for you. but really, I mean, it's just incredible. So man. So then Mon Mothma goes on to say, still, if we lock Erica, Erica Quell away for her crimes after everything she's done to redeem herself, what hope do any of them have? And yeah. it's a great point, yeah. but it also makes me think about people like Sienna Ree, maybe or maybe not rotting away in a New Republic prison. You know, right. what's, what was she <laughs> taken to trial similar to how you know, Quell would have been like, is this a, a long drawn out thing that we're going to hear more about? Like, does anyone have hope because they decided yeah. to let Quell go free? Oh, there's gotta be that one person that they, people, the ex Imperials can look to as an example of what they can aspire to be even after the, the horror of war that they've uh, experienced. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully they can see that Erica Quell is that person, and yeah, she can there, start start the ball, like start the uh, start the the snowball to turn into a giant avalanche. I love that. Yeah, that, I mean, write that down. Put that, that on that, the put that in the category. West Jenkins. The category. That was almost that was almost the quote for the spark that'll light the fire. Like the Jedi. Like oh, that's cool. a cold one. <laughs> yeah, because I think one. like. It's interesting because I mean, you know, you hear those stories where like the most the most effective and inspiring speakers are the guy that like, you know, I used to be a white supremacist, but then I I, I escaped and I got out, and now I I know I was wrong. And, like all those stories have to have to be about someone who was given a chance after being horrible. You know, like I caused so much pain in my life, and now that I've gone through that, I see it's wrong, and I can tell you to not do that. So I think there's definitely an element of that where yeah, you have to have X. some... Yeah. You have to have some Imperials that are able to talk that out, but you also have to respect the victims of the atrocities enough to say there will still be punishment. There will still be justice. Yes. You know? Yeah. You can't just say, nope, everyone goes, everyone goes free. Right. We're still so that, taking a couple of your fingers, and and yep. we're gonna wear them around our necks. Or like do it uh, uh, in glorious bastard style. They all get the imperial signal carved in their foreheads with a oh, Bowie yeah. knife. Oh man! <laughs> oh, on the next episode of the Living Force, we're gonna talk about <laughs> corporeal punishment. <laughs> the twelfth right. film by Quentin Tarantino is a Star Wars. <laughs> oh, could you imagine? Quentin oh Tarantino God. directing a Star Wars film. Starring Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> Brad Pitt. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, speaking of a war film, uh, <laughs> this book really does put the wars in Star Wars. And I'm curious, do you think this was the most you know, realistic, the, the grittiest look at the horrors of war that we've ever gotten within Star Wars as a property? The trilogy as a whole? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, from the you know the limited experience I have in reading the books, yes, I think that okay. this was this was like all um, battles and wars, and because it was so technical, it also helped out to to show us the like I said earlier, like the horror of war. Um, so, I mean, almost every chapter had something to do with with fighting or um, getting better from the fight or just talking about the fight that happened before or the fight that's going to happen uh, coming up. It's just, it was like 
ridden with wars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so and so much of Star Wars historically, even like the the war books have always been so triumphant. Like there's the final battle and the and the mission, and I love those books. I live for those books. They're so much fun, and I and I think their quality can be incredible. But never before has a series really taken these big questions and been like, "Am I a good person? Is this just? What do we do now?" With those who have wronged us. Like, these are heavy questions that I think yeah. wars actually mm-hmm. actively ask of people. Yeah. You know? Everything we do as humans affects other people. Like, these these situations, even though they're told within this fantasy lens, um, because, again, Star Wars is space fantasy, is so realistic and so cutting. I think that... I mean, no, people who know me won't be surprised by this. I think the, the the closest we get to it otherwise is maybe the Aftermath trilogy because that's all about how do you build back up after a supposed victory. Um, but this this is, I think, the most, the most raw look at what warfare does to the mind and what it does to a community. Um, John Dutch also says uh, Twilight Company, which, again, another Freed. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that Freed... Freed clearly has opinions on war, and I, I applaud him for executing them so well and with such respect yeah. um, throughout all of his books. Yeah. And he's had some pretty interesting um, commentary, I think, in some interviews, too, because he writes like someone that has been through this stuff, and I, I think he's made a point to say he was like never in the military or anything like that, nope. but he's he's found a really interesting way to understand i think some of the psyche that must be surrounded uh yeah or or must be kind of fueled by those experiences but right but yeah you know and even though we're getting all this darkness uh you know so much grittiness i think it's really cool that this book poses the questions like you're saying eric it poses these massive questions that are uh easily reflected in real life but it doesn't tell us what the answers are you know, it, it's very right. open-ended. It says, hey, I want you to look at this closely and then tell me what you think. And, yeah. and that's what this roundtable is for. But, I mean, yeah, I love that it, it didn't tell us the answers. Yeah. There is no well, author, I'll say just flat out, that I think gets gets better with discussion, gets better with roundtable thoughts than Alexander Freed. I think that, at least in Star Wars, Yeah, you know, I... I my fondness for this trilogy is so intensely based on these conversations that we have together. And that's why this one going in, I gave it a higher rating. I think that I started the others because I had the idea that we would have these talks in my head as I read the book, Yeah, you know, and I hope, and I genuinely hope for a moment of, you know, sappy emotionality with all of you listeners. I hope that that's what these conversations do for you. I hope this show does that because I think it's kind of what we've all wanted our whole lives is to be able to access these deeper thoughts with people through Star Wars. And I hope that this show is allowing you all that that ability because that's literally why we do it. Yeah. I mean, knowing now what these conversations do for me personally, I, I don't care if the podcast ended, we stopped streaming these live. Like, I would still be texting y'all. I would be like, hey, we got to talk about this book. Like, <laughs> We're we, hanging we out. All right. Because yeah. like, these, these Get really on the do, Zoom. mean so much. You got to talk man. me off the edge. Nope. <laughs> but, you know, despite how gritty and, and real this trilogy was when it came to war, somehow every member of Alphabet Squadron does survive. 
So I'm curious, did, yeah. that, did that feel realistic to you? Or, or do you think, you know, would the death of, of one or more of the characters have given any more weight to the conflict or to the story? Okay, so we'll, we'll start from the, from the very beginning. Did that feel yeah. realistic to me? No. There were, there were plenty of times where Nath could have, could have died, especially Will as well. I mean, all of them, their ships were like, were put together by, you know, band-aids and, and, uh, and glue sticks, you know? Rebellions and starfighters, both built on hope. Like, you don't think one of those just like rip apart coming back in on, like on an entry or something. And just like, Oh, I didn't even think about bolting that part down. I just burned alive. (laughs) But I mean, the death of one or more of the characters, I don't know if it gave more weight to the conflict, um, but I think if I would say one character would probably give, would make it better, I think if Erica had had died. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Basically giving her life to to a, to a the cause that the New Republic is looking to to build would, would have probably added more weight to the, to, the, sure. to the trilogy and to the conflict itself. It's interesting because... Killing characters is such a an accepted thing. Now I feel like in a lot of like IP media, right? Like mm. who's gonna die in the next Marvel movie or like what sacrifice is gonna be is such a thing. I weirdly felt like not killing anyone was maybe the strongest possible choice because it subverted every expectation that someone was gonna go. Yeah. And the fact that they all actually had to live with the choices they made and all actually had to live for decades thinking about this, I think is actually much harder. Like what is it in Hamilton where it says dying is easy. Living is harder is mm, yeah. intensely real. Cause you can sacrifice yourself and be a hero. But I mean, we're having these questions from the outside. Whereas the characters in universe would have to wrestle with these for years and years and years to come. And I think having characters that have to live with that is, is interesting in a way that we haven't seen in quite a while in Star Wars. So I thought it was an interesting choice. Again, would I have been emotionally invested and devastated if someone had died? Absolutely. Freed, I'm sure, would have written it in very well. Um, so I was surprised. Obviously, it's no secret that we all thought Will was going to bite it. Uh, we made <laughs> jokes, but really thought that was going to happen. But I think having them all live on with the consequences of their actions was, I think, the point he was trying to make the whole time. Yeah. I agree with you, and I also just I want to be very clear. Um, will Lark will die in part four of <laughs> the Alpha Squadron quadrilogy. Um, That's right. When he gets assassinated in the Senate building. Yes, <laughs> Jared, is that is that what we're calling the four part series now? I know you've talked about this on Legends Look Back. Um, I like it, but no, this trilogy I think more than any other differed very drastically from the good versus evil, right versus wrong, light side versus dark side ideology behind Mm -hmm. the original star Wars. And where the OT does present things as very black and white, these books are every single shade of gray. So in hindsight, even though this was so different, did it still manage to feel like your quote unquote star Wars to you? Because again, that, you know, star Wars is, is a subjective experience. And, and what it means to you is different depending on who you are. But did it did it resonate with you in the same way as these other projects have before it? I wouldn't yeah. say in the same way. 
Um, this trilogy was very, it was very character driven, right? So it was mm-hmm. very reliant on the characters and, um, and their experience, their past experiences and how they, how they, uh, their relationships were with each other. Um, so <laughs> that's the, again, that's why it made it so great because everybody had a different experience and had a different mindset going into the battle. Um, uh, much like Will was, Will was, um, he was trying to get back home pretty much throughout the trilogy. Right. He's like, right. once I'm finished with this, I'm finally going to go home. And then, um, Chas kind of found two families within this trilogy and, uh, and Soren Keys went back and forth on on his on his uh, relationships with getting out of the Empire, going back to the Empire, and then kind of his gray, I guess you could say, of trying to save his his comrades and not necessarily the Empire. So this was a very, like I said earlier, it's very detailed, especially with the characters, and this is something completely different than what I've read in the past. Completely different, I think. Um, but it's still Star Wars to me. Um, yeah. But I think that the reading itself was 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 very different. Yeah, I uh, I would say this this hits more with my personal Star Wars than some others. Like, I wasn't a huge fan of of Freed's work before this. I I didn't love Twilight Company. It was a little too much for me. Um, but this this series really resonated we, with me more than say like the the X Wing books. Like I've I've only read Rogue Squadron so far. Going back, um, as like a, a admittedly more of a canon reader than a Legends reader, those I don't know. They're they're very good. They're well written, and if you love them as most people do, that's fantastic. I'm so happy. And this though, the the extra level of care that is taken with them, like that that encourages these types of conversations that we have. The reason we talk for three episodes about the moral implications of the narrative and the stories and the characters, I think, is what makes it Star Wars for me. So this really fit in my universe nicely. I think that there aren't going to be a ton of books like this because I do think it's a little heavy for you know every book to go this far. But I think this might start a trend of every few series. Maybe we do something more like this. Charles, what about you? Yeah, I agree with you. I think if all the books were like this, it'd be like having a filet mignon for every meal. I mean, you'd just <laughs> oh, be like, oh, God, I want a filet mignon right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it did. It, 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 it still feels like Star Wars to me. It was just seeing it through a totally new lens. I have so much appreciation for this trilogy and, and the questions that it raised and how much it made me think about things. And at the same time, I'm mad that I didn't have that escapism and just the you right. know the the whooping with joy when the heroes win and all that stuff. You know, but they're both Star Wars to me and I'm really glad that we are kind of diversifying the experience of what it is. Yeah. And I'm glad that there are books mm-hmm. like this that will pull people in who maybe don't like the old stuff. And you know, for people who don't enjoy this, we've got a lot a lot of other fun stuff that's coming down the pipeline stuff we've already gotten this year. I think light of the Jedi plays to a very different audience than this trilogy mm-hmm. did. So um, it's fun just to, to diverse, diversify the experience. I think. Yeah. It's funny thinking about this um, versus like the rising storm. When we've heard about it. Like these are both canon star Wars novels. And one is like 
oh man, does the morality of my past actions define who I am as a person? And can I ever truly be redeemed for the sins of my past? And the other one is like, there's a world's fair and someone's <laughs> going to attack the Jedi. <laughs> like, I love it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, as the last overarching question before we get into these Easter eggs, I want to know in the end, what is victory's price? What do you think mm. was the cost to win this war for our heroes? I $14. think dollars. Yes. <laughs> even. Um, I think the price of victory is having to live forever knowing what you had to sacrifice to get there. Whether it's personally, whether it's the lives of those you love, you had to do something you didn't want to. And you now have to sit. And I think that's why everyone survived. I think that was it. Like they, Mm -hmm. none of them can escape that price simply by checking out early. You got to live with that. And then you got to move on. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Can you live with what you, what you did in the past? Like your past actions, are they, are the, are your actions that you did in the, in after you've, were involved in wars and after you were part of Operation Cinder and um, in Erica Quell's case, um, are the things you did after that, can you live with, can you live with yourself knowing that you've killed people on account of the Empire, but you've also helped the New Republic? Is that, do they kind of weigh the same or, I mean, I don't think they do. I think you're always going to think back to, man, I, I, ended innocent people's lives for a horrible reason. Yeah. yeah. I I think y'all hit the nail on the head. I'm not even going to add anything else. Let's jump right in to Easter eggs, connective oh. tissue, <laughs> and random thoughts. Connective tissue. Oh. All right. Let's make it happen. On page 11, we get the Oracle, capital O, who seems to be the same species as Yariel Poof because she's described yes! as having a long Floaty neck boy. and she can barely <laughs> keep her head still. So either she is a Quermian like Yariel Poof or she's a drunk Kimmy Nolan. We'll, we'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> On page 43, we, we get this bit about Nath's droid T5. The quote says, the drab green astromech had blown a motivator almost a week before. And, of course, that's the same malfunction that led to Luke and Owen getting R2 instead of R5 in A New Hope, right? Uncle, Uncle Owen, Owen yeah. this one's got, got a, a bad, bad motivator. <laughs> exactly. We're legally oh, required so to do it. <laughs> On page 46, Smashball is referenced. And so that's still Alexander Fried's favorite Star Wars sport. Remember, it Smashball! was first created in 1995 for the novel Children of the Jedi by Barbara Hambly, but... Freed is the one who brought it back to canon in the Rogue One novelization, and I think it's been in at least two of the three uh, of the books in this trilogy as well. So he's Ridiculous. ride or die smash ball. All right, page 90. That's on like Spike TV at 2.30 p.m. Yes. on a Friday. Like yes. that's what smash ball is. Circa 1999. Like it's- <laughs> Yes, sir. American Gladiators and smash ball. <laughs> On page 92, we get the quote, You can take a hunting dog out of the woods, give it work to do, let it chase rats and other vermin around the house, but if it gets a sniff of its original quarry, it'll whine at the fences for days. And I almost texted Wes to see if that was true. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) That old Texan proverb. (laughs) 
I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pitch. say for sure. On page 96 about Hera, we get this quote. She was operating on instinct now, instinct honed over years of warfare, months of studying the 204th, yet instinct nonetheless. The man she'd loved, the father of her child, would have called it the guidance of the force. R.I.P. Canon. You mean Ezra Bridger? Oh, <laughs> yo. Okay. No, no, no. I can't no, let's believe. not go there. Let's you have a blue there. child? <laughs> All right, on page 139, Quell says, DN-949A was the Empire's tertiary fueling post and chemical processing facility for this sector. It has no significant strategic or cultural value and a permanent population of less than 500 organics plus 1,600 droids of fifth-degree intelligence or better. Six days after Endor, the local military was overthrown by those droids who claimed independence for the outpost and the right to self-government. Since then, the droids set up a society of sorts. The organic residents haven't been forced out, but rumor has it they're working for the droids now. And L3 would be so proud to hear about <laughs> yes! what is going on yes! at DN949A. <laughs> Liberation. <coughs> uh, All right. Girl. On page 155, we meet the surgeon, who we've not talked about yet, but who I absolutely adored. Do you guys remember the surgeon, the droid who helped to take apart the messenger? And oh, he, yes. He says this on page 155, humans, the door speaker uh, declared with electronic disdain, have your masters sent you to be fitted with restraining bolts? Likely not. I do not recognize you. Travelers, then. Neural implants, total conversion. I require payment in advance for both. And I, I felt like total conversion, you know, maybe that was a reference to Last Shot and Fizen Gore's Brotherhood of Wire and Bone. Y'all remember this oh cult God, that was... Oh, my God, right. Fizen Gore. Yeah, they were obsessed with basically the <laughs> joining of droid mechanics with sentient flesh, and they all had droid parts, and it was just... Yeah, it, yeah. It, it sounds like maybe something the surgeon would be into. He'd love it's that. It's like cyberpunk. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Now, on page 173, the surgeon is talking about the messenger, and he says, Remarkable work. Magnificently inefficient by any modern standard, but remarkable all the same. You know, by certain technical definitions, it wouldn't be considered a droid. It's a computer, a machine. But imagine if the core directive of a machine wasn't to resolve tasks and logic, but to express a particular emotion, as if it were a painting or another piece of fine art. What emotion, Quell asked, not my area of expertise, the surgeon said. Loathing? Spite? I don't have the words. And that really, it just gave me chills. Like, I just wanted to bring that quote up. Like, yeah, this is freaking not yikes, man. <laughs> One of the examples is spite. Like, spite. Oh, that's disgusting. So <laughs> palpatine, though. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, on page 191, Will challenges Keys to a one on one duel, just like out of the blue. And it struck Not me. Not a great as, move, my guy. <laughs> yeah. And like it struck me as a little bit weird and a little bit juvenile, especially uh -huh. when Keys was like, I accept. And Bruce. <laughs> oh, no. Bruce, who is Keys' second in command, he absolutely speaks my mind because he just says, Colonel, this seems like an awful idea. <laughs> <laughs> I just I loved that. I really liked Bruce yeah. just for that one quote. Um, on page 196, I wanted to bring this quote back up because 
it, we're getting back to the part about how the messenger picked which Imperials would carry out Operation Cinder. And, you know, it had that long list of all these qualities that it looked for. Um, loyalty, resourcefulness, conscience, family trauma, education, genetic predisposition, etc. And something called MDC count. I left that part of the quote out earlier, but he does say at the end, something called MDC count went into figuring this out. And so there's your Easter egg, right? MDC count has got to be midichlorian count. Without question. So the emperor was tracking every individual in the empire's force sensitivity. Are you kidding me? He had one of those the Gillette razors that Qui-Gon has in episode one. They could just plug into his blood. (laughs) Exactly. On page 214, Nath loses his targeting computer, but he still makes a desperate shot to destroy the Yadis, just like Luke and the Death Star in A New Hope. Solid. On page 229, Colonel Madrigas tries to perform a holdo maneuver, but he doesn't jump to light speed while he's doing it. So his ship is destroyed before he can collide with Hera's ship. So that was pretty slack, my guy. You gotta, you gotta to learn. <laughs> On page 241 about Kairos, we got this quote. She doesn't leave footprints. Quell turned to where Kairos had passed and saw the ground apparently untouched while Quell's boots sank into the soil. And first of all, that's baller. But second of all, it's also a reference to uh, Luke's force projection in The Last Jedi because that's one of the ways the viewer is supposed to recognize that Luke's not actually on crate. He doesn't leave footprints in the salt like everyone else does. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't right. taste it either like that one guy. Like that one guy. Yeah, salt. It's salt. also He's also like <laughs> Legolas in Fellowship of the Ring just walking on the snow when they're like, It's Saruman! <laughs> and like Legolas is like, I can walk on snow. Get good. We really have become a Lord of the Rings <laughs> podcast, I think. A little bit. Um, on page 317, Quell is granted a T-70 X-Wing prototype. And so that's the same X-Wing type that Poe flies in the sequel trilogy. There you go. Eric showing oh, off his X-Wing tattoo. tattoo. T-70s. Yes. So that, that was the prototype. So that was cool. Um, mm-hmm. On page 334, we get this quote. Colonel Soren Keys, reduce speed, power down your weapons, and await docking clearance. You will come aboard the Panaka and justify your presence. And Keys, <laughs> Keys responds, if I recall my history, Moff Panaka was instrumental in breaking his homeworld's blockade, not preserving it. So there's your Quarsh Panaka reference. Yes. Love you, Quarsh. Any, any reason to bring up Quarsh Panaka and um, really anything about the prequels. This far into the timeline, I'm there for it. So yeah, yeah. On page 342, a Gazanti cruiser is mentioned. So that's the same ship that Bo-Katan and the Mando infiltrate in season two of The Mandalorian. Love it. Okay. On page 371, uh, the Arakian monks are mentioned, and this was an ancient religious order that was first mentioned in Freed's novel Battlefront Twilight Company. And these monks kept a book full of the names of the deceased so that they would be remembered forever. And one of the shadowing pilots in this novel says that he or she wants to end up in the Book of the Dead. It's when they were playing the, uh, I can't remember the name of it now. It was like the when, how, uh, yeah, who, what, who, yeah. where, yeah. Yeah, yeah, about how they the thought they w would game. die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who, who, what, when, where, why, and how. Um, yeah, but that was cool. A reference back to some of Freed's earlier work. So on page 382, uh, Keys says, artfully done. 
And that has got to be a reference to Grand Admiral Thrawn's It Was So Artistically Done <laughs> yeah. from the original Thrawn trilogy. Yeah, Which, by the way, stick around to the end of the show. I got a little Thrawn surprise for folks that are going to keep going. Don't skip ahead. Yes. There's more Easter eggs, but Love just it. a little tease. Well, on page 403, we're almost done. We're getting to the end of the book. Hera pilots the ghosts once again. So, I mean, a very obvious callback, but, I mean, if that doesn't just Love hit that. you in the feels. Yeah. Loved it. So great. And if it didn't hit you in the feels because you haven't watched Rebels yet, go watch Rebels, <laughs> please. It's great. It's um, really good. Page 427, <laughs> when Chas is in the wreckage of her ship, uh, quote, she wondered if there was a way to hasten her death. She grew terrified of the thought of being rescued and never recovering, suffering the same nightmare fuel as always, only this time without legs. And if Darth Maul was reading this book, that's the moment he would have just closed <laughs> it and flipped the damn table. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Oh, my God. <laughs> also on page 427, after the carnage of the Battle of Jakku, we see uh, that stranded and injured soldiers are rescued by the 120, or what's left of them, on their Saravkas, the, the creatures that the 120 from Will's homeworld uh, flew. And that felt just like the eagles from Lord of the Rings, did it not? The eagles! Like, literally, they just swoop in, scoop everybody up who's, like, going to die, and fly them away. So there's another Lord of the Rings reference for you. On page 435, Skakoan squid is mentioned, and Skakoan is the species of Wat Tambor, the leader of the Techno Union. Yeah. Yeah. Wat Tambor. He already kind of looks like a squid. (laughs) I hate him so much. I would hate to know what a Skakoan squid looks like. For real, man. On page 441, customers at the Coruscant Cafe that Hera and Queller visit, uh, are visiting are playing uh, Dejaric, a.k.a. Hollow Chess. Okay, so that was fun. Love that. And finally, Bansu Ro, the shadowing pilot who Nath tries to recruit in the bar at the end of the book, is one of the characters from the TIE Fighter comics. So no good, good okay. call back there. Yeah. Where it all started. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> But that's it, y'all. That's all I've got. Um, if if you know a great Easter egg and you're listening and I missed it, make sure to drop it in the chat if you're watching live or throw it in the comments if you're watching this back on YouTube later. Um, and with that said, let's end this roundtable how we always do, y'all. Re-rate the book on a scale of 1 to 10 and give me any final thoughts that you have on Victory's Prize by Alexander Freed. Oh, all right, I think I'll, I'll give it a, a 9 point. 9.2, I think. I think that's about where I rated it at the beginning. I was, I'm going to stick there. I like it. I think that it, it's not the quickest read, obviously. It's a little dense for a bunch of rereading. But, God, the questions it asks and the the conversations, obviously, it gave us over these last three episodes absolutely catapulted into the 9 to 10 range. I'm really, really happy with what Free did with this trilogy. I think it's a... It's a undeniably solid entry into canon and i'm really really excited for his next project i think the way these characters ended was perfect for what they had to do and i think it was a really excellent end to a trilogy that kind of changed the way we can think about star wars so happily give it a 9.2 um i'm going to increase my score just as i believe i thought i was going to from the beginning um I had it kind of in the the mid sevens. I think I'm gonna j- 
jump it up to a 7.9. Um, mostly because um, of the Coruscant, uh, the Coruscant, I guess, climax at the end. Yeah. Um, talking about that more and, and the whole um, the reasoning behind it, um, where is it worth uh, killing killing a thousand to save a million or killing a million to save a thousand. And then we just hurt our brains for that entire week. Uh, yep. About that. <laughs> so, um, I mean that whole part of the book that the, the last third, I guess, uh, really helped me increase the rating for this book. Um, I do think that if I have time to go back and even listen, re-listen to the trilogy, cause there's so much detail in these books, um, that I'm sure I missed out on that. I think that, the connective tissue, if you will, Charles, yeah. um, would be a, a lot better if I uh, got a second pass through this. Um, and I also think it'd be good for, really for any reader getting in, like you said, um, Eric, as, as a brand new Star Wars reader, because it doesn't have a lot of stuff um, related to the OT, um, except for, you know, kind of like the Luke and the Vader funeral pyre part. But right. um, a lot of it is new characters that haven't... Um, been displayed before on in past uh, stories, so it's something you can latch on to and really start a good foundation in Star Wars books. Yeah, I am similarly gonna raise my score. Uh, I think I was somewhere around the sevens, like you were, uh, Wes. Maybe I gave it an eight. I'm gonna give it an eight point seven. Um, this unsurprisingly made me have a lot more appreciation for this book. And again, it's hard not to to think back about the whole trilogy. I think the trilogy as a whole yeah. is somewhere on the 9 to 10 range for me. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this book definitely had some moments that were up there, kind of highlights for the whole series. So loved it. I, I agree. I can't wait to, to see what Freed does next. I'm glad that we have a break from him for a little while, though, I will say, because... Yep. My brain needs a little bit of rest, so thank God the next book is is Thrawn, <laughs> not cerebral at all. <laughs> no, um, not in a little bit. <laughs> but we'll 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 have fun with that one too. Totally. Well, on that note, actually, I, I, so I teased it a bit. I wanted to give a little uh, a little thank you to everyone that watched live tonight um, by sharing with you all a thing that everyone else will find out tomorrow, uh, and that is the rating that Utini gave. Thrawn Ascendancy Greater Good. So if, if you don't want to know that yet, if you want to wait for tomorrow's reviews or you want to wait till you read, um, thanks for hanging out tonight. Go ahead and take this as your warning. Uh, but to everyone else, Chaos Rising, the first Thrawn Ascendancy book, got an 8.8 from the Utini staff. And I'm proud to reveal that tonight. Greater Good, which again, reviews on YouTube and Utini.com tomorrow, received an 8.7. So a tenth of a point different from Chaos Rising. We really thoroughly enjoyed it for our full thoughts. Again, mostly spoiler-free. Uh, check out those reviews tomorrow. Get your copy. That'll be our next roundtable in like a month's time. So you got plenty of time to read it. We're excited, though. Next week, we will be back with a, with a relaxing, silly episode, as some of you may love. A couple of reminders, though, but we you can get before that. This Wednesday, the Cosmic Force is live, and Thursday, Legends Look Back is live, and this weekend, I believe this weekend, Conjure Book Club is starting their coverage of Greater Good with chapters one through seven on their live Discord show and podcast. So if you you can't wait for us, you can always hit Conjure Book Club on the weekends. Whew! But with that, my friends, that'll do it! 
for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you support us on Patreon, we thank you so much for your help with that. And remember, keep your eyes out for our May the 4th Discord event with The Bad Batch. A special thank you goes to Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council, and Elizabeth Cloutier, Jason Mitchell, Freddie C., and Sally and Chris Eilerson on our Alliance High Command. You can find us on Twitter, at Eric Eilerson, at C. Hankel, at Boss West, and at Stock Star Wars MD, and at Living Force Pod. A special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, and Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire, and Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you to Charles and Wes for podcasting me tonight. Thank you to all of you in the chat for hanging out. We'll see you on Sunday for Bounty Hunt. And as always, may the force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like-minded fans at utini.com. And remember, the force will be with you. Always.